Proverbs chapter 6 is where we are now. Um, let's read a little bit, and then we'll come back and we'll dive in and see how far we can get. And just please pray with me because I got a lot of stuff in my mind and heart, um, but haven't sorted it all out yet with the busy weekend. But notice it says, starting in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. My son, if you become surety for your friend, you have shake or uh, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, two different situations, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. Give no sleep to your eyelids, nor slumber to your, no sleep to your eyes, or slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Then he says, go to the ant, verse 6, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which have no captain, which having no captain, overseer or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard, when you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall notice your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. So, Father, we do thank you this morning as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, I pray that you would even begin to deliver us, Lord, from the wrong mentalities and thinking that we may have because of the world and the society that we live in. I pray that by your word and your spirit, you will deliver us from the dangers that we are being warned of in this chapter, Lord God. Free your people and bless them, we pray. I pray also that you would remove the distractions from our hearts and minds and, and even the room, Lord God, that we may really focus in on what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so obviously as we go into this, uh, Solomon speaking to his children, speaking to his son, uh, trying to warn them of the, the things of this life that they need to watch out for by pouring wisdom into them, giving them the wisdom that they need in order to be able to apply God's word to their lives and walk this out. And that's what wisdom is, as we've been learning. Wisdom is not a head full of knowledge, but wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and apply it the right way within our lives as a bit of skill to it, uh, being able to handle knowledge. And again, we want to not just receive the word through our ears, but we want to receive it into our hearts and we want to learn how to walk it out and apply it in our lives on a daily basis. Amen? And that's what we've been learning to do. And the beautiful thing about Calvary, uh, as we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, inductively through the Bible, is that we touch on everything. There's no skipping anything. So we, we, we endure in here together the word of God and let it have its perfect work within our lives. And today, Solomon warns his son about this thing called debt. And so let's dive in and I'll come back. Notice right up in verse one, right off the bat, he warns him of two situations. My son, if you become surety, it's a very interesting word. In other words, don't become a cosigner. Surety is to pledge. And ex or, or to be mortgaged, if you will, um, to become security um, for a friend. Solomon is warning against doing that. Um, 
And it's very interesting that people often, um, not often, but many people have found themselves in situations where somebody may ask um, for a little assistance in this and they wanting to love and wanting to help the person will go along with doing it. And when I was in banking, there would be many times when an older person would come in and need to get something done. And, and then all of a sudden, we would, they would discover that their credit, credit rating had dropped. And the older person's like, I don't understand. What do you mean? I've never been late on anything. I always pay my bills. But it's that one little account where they co-sign for a friend or a neighbor or a grandchild on a student loan, and the person they co-sign for is no longer making the payments on time and ruining the grandparents' credit. Uh, I saw that many, many different times. And it's one of those things where, you know, you would think, well, it, this would be a loving thing to do for someone who's in need. By co-signing, you are literally putting yourself on the line is being obligated for, listen, their debt, which implies that they're not in the financial position to actually do or acquire the thing anyway, and so they need your help. That's the indication that you don't want to help them in this way. <laughs> Love would be sitting them down and helping them develop a plan to be able to financially navigate this life without entering into debt which is what the scripture is now implying to us anyway. And he's warning us about this. In fact, he says, don't, don't do that. You know, you know, you've done this thing and you've caused a problem. We'll get to it in a minute. It, look at the second part of the verse. If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, if you have entered into a promissory note with someone because they just made it sound like it was too good to be true, the interest rate's great, and you've entered into something, some type of debt agreement for something that you couldn't acquire without the debt, and the debt made it easy to get it, and that's the American way. <laughs> we'll get it to in a minute. And he's saying that you don't do these things. Debt's a tool that God does not encourage. Now, granted, it's very expensive to get many things in the world that we live in. There's some debt that, you know, we tolerate because without it, most people would never acquire a home, for instance, because if you look at the market now, it's expensive to get a home in this area, isn't it? Oh, you're hard pressed to find something under $300,000 just in this local area now. It's crazy. So we do understand that there are times when there's certain debt we acquire and that debt's tied to an asset that we believe is going to maintain its value, right? Um, but even then, there's a way to get into that because what the Bible is trying to say to us is debt is a very dangerous thing to your future and your livelihood. And so here we are. We finished with sex, and now I'm in your bank account. I'm in your pocketbook. <laughs> Man, and it's not my fault. <laughs> in fact, last week, I, you know, normally on Mondays, like a lot of pastors have difficult Mondays. I don't have difficult Mondays because it ain't my business. I, I do what I'm supposed to do, and then I go spend time with my family. But last week, I was struggling, and, you know, because I do a lot of marriage counseling. I'm like, Lord, I hope this person didn't think I was talking about their situation and all this kind of stuff. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me, I wrote it, you didn't. <laughs> I was like, yes, it ain't my fault. <laughs> I didn't write any of this. I'm just 
the messenger. And so don't shoot the messenger. And that's the beauty of Calvary. This is his word, which we are allowing to speak into our lives. And whether we like it or not, as Americans, we need to hear this. Whether we like it or not, the Bible does not look favorably upon debt. In fact, verse 2 says, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You have been snared by this thing. You have entrapped yourself in something. And there could come a time when you are going to have to deal with it and you need to be careful. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 7 says, the rich rules over the poor. And then it says this, and the borrower is servant to the who? I like the NIV, the borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower becomes slave to the lender because he's obligated to this debt for a long period of time. Deuteronomy, and I'll come back to that in a moment. One of the things I want to say really quick, and I'm going to kind of, I'll just have to go through it the way it's on my heart. You know, some of the Christian financial people say that the average car payment in America, now for some of you, I don't want anybody to choke or lose their breath, okay? But the average car payment, they say, in America is actually, I mean, it's hard to swallow, five to $600, okay? Um, so what people are doing is they are buying a new vehicle, leaving with a five, six hundred, sometimes more $100 payment for a long period of time because they're financing them longer and longer now. So some people are going seven years, eight years on these things. When they leave the lot, of course, it loses value very quickly. In the first five years, most vehicles lose 50% of their value. So um, it's really not an asset. It's a, it's a money pit, basically. And, uh, and then they're obligated to this for a long period of time. But the reason why that number is such a problem, listen, is your biggest asset. Now, some of you in the room, like myself, with a financial background, I know there's at least one other CPA in the room. Um, you're going to be like, you're going to cringe because I'm going to use the terminology wrong, but I'm going to use it in a way that people understand it. So your biggest asset, most people would say, is your house, but a- actually your biggest asset is your cash flow, um, meaning that the money you have left once all of your obligations are paid, that's your biggest asset because your cash flow allows you to actually do what the Bible says, which is to build wealth and to be able to be a blessing to those around you when, ha- when you have opportunity, also to build the kingdom of God because we're supposed to be givers, right? So the biggest asset you have is that difference between what comes in and what goes out because now you can do something. But when you tie all of that up with debt, then you don't have anything. And then you become what what we call living paycheck to paycheck, which means that if you lose your income, you instantly begin to lose the ability to eat very quickly and to keep lights on and all that kind of stuff. And, And hear me out, because I know we throw that around a lot. I'm living paycheck to paycheck and paycheck to paycheck. And I know some people say it, and it's not actually the case because they have some things that are being taken out to go to retirement and stuff like that, which is good, right? Y'all understand that, okay? Um, But what happens is if you're actually living paycheck to paycheck, then you're, you're actually going completely against what the Bible says that believers are to be experiencing. 
it's not a biblical way to live and it lacks biblical wisdom. And there's some things that we need to do to change that situation. Now, hopefully I can get right back to that point. I'm going to divert for a moment. Okay, y'all all right? I'm going to come back to that point. Are you all okay? Yeah. All right. So we live in a country where we have been, if you will, taught to live this way. And I don't know if you know this, but the national debt for the United States of America is over $28 trillion, up from $23 trillion not too long ago, um, actually about a year and some change ago. Our national revenue, meaning everything that comes in from tax and all types of revenue, is $3.5 trillion as of 2019. $3.5 trillion. Our debt's $28 trillion. National revenue uh, annually is $3.5 trillion. But the cost to run the country consumes most of that. So we actually don't have the ability to actually reduce our debt just from a basic financial glance. So the debt's growing. I mean, just the interest on the debt alone, we can't even service. So we are essentially, as a country, bankrupt. And so, well, what do you do? Well, what's worse is that the U.S. dollar is actually not backed by a hard asset like gold. You know, like your mortgage is backed by the real estate that you have, okay? And hopefully you're, you're gaining ground, you're gaining equity. It's widening how much you owe and how much your, your home is worth, obviously. Well, the, United, uh, the U.S. dollar is actually not backed by gold. There used to be a thing called the gold standard, and that's a monetary system where a country's currency or paper money has value directly linked to an asset like gold, and it used to be the gold standard. With the gold standard, countries agree to convert paper money into fix, a fixed amount of gold. A country that uses a gold standard sets a fixed price for gold and buys and sells gold at that price. And the fixed price is used to determine the value of the currency. For example, if the U.S. sets the gold price at $500 an ounce, then every U.S. dollar would be one five hundredth of an ounce of gold is what its value would be, right? That makes sense? Gold is actually about $1,800 an ounce now. But the whole point, listen, the whole point is we went away from the gold standard long ago. In fact, uh, there's an image on the screen, I hope. Well, maybe we have it going on. There it is. And this is um, the Postmaster. This was put out April 5th, 1993, under executive order of the president, issued April 5th, 1993. All persons are required to deliver on or before May 1st, 1993, all gold coin, gold bullion, gold certificates now owned by them to the Federal Bank Reserve branch or agency, yada, 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 yada. So we bought back all the, um, the gold, and then, in, and then we immediately, our country went up on the price of it. Um, and so we essentially created what's called fiat money or fake money, um, meaning that our government requires us to operate under the dollar, and they set the price and then manipulate the economy based upon that, which means that it's a house of cards that eventually is going to come down. I hope I'm making a little bit of sense. Check this out. The U.S. reserve of gold equals 8,133 tons worth, but check this out, it's worth 
over $373 billion, okay? Germany is the next one having $154 billion. But $373 billion sounds like a lot, but it's actually not, listen, it's actually not when you have $28 trillion in debt. So listen, the difference between our actual goal and our actual debt is so massive you can't imagine. You can't even think about it. Check this out. If you know math, it takes 1,000 billions to equal what? A trillion. Man, y'all are smart. I, this is amazing. Okay. This is easier than I thought. Um, so we, listen, we don't even have $1 trillion worth of gold, but our debt is $28 trillion worth of gold. Like I said earlier, essentially, we're bankrupt. And so between 1933 and 1971, we completely went away from the gold standard. And so goes the country, goes the majority of its citizens. A recent study shows that 80% of Americans are caught up in the chains of debt. And many Americans, as I described earlier, are living paycheck to paycheck. And even the homeless in our country are starting to look different to me. I used to do street ministry, and you would see, you know, older, um, you, know, you know, mid to older age people. And then, you know, usually if they were younger people, it was a substance abuse, abuse issue. But now that's starting to look different. And so everything now is beginning to change. And the Bible says that we should stay away from that. And this is not the way that God has called us to live. In fact, there's wisdom in the scripture that Solomon is trying to give to his children that we also have to understand. Psalm 37, verse 25, not on the screen, says this, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their descendants begging bread. And my son is in college now. And so his senior year in high school, my aunt called me, how's he doing? What's his plans? And I told her, and she's like, okay, I'm sending the check. I'm like, okay, what's the check? The check is, it's not a lot of money, by the way. But my grandfather had set aside money for his grandchildren to go to college. It's not a lot of money, so don't, don't think we're a wealthy family. It's not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money. That's not even the point. The point is when the check came in the mail and I, at the bottom of the notes, I saw my grandfather's name and at the top, my son's name. And it just broke me because these verses make sense. They're older people who walk with the Lord, who realize that the only way to navigate finances as a believer is to do what it says down in verse 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I know that I jumped way ahead. And consider her ways and be wise. Which having no captain or overseer or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. And, of course, growing up on the farm, I saw the preserves on the shelf. We had a smokehouse with hams hanging up. Baskets full of sweet potatoes, you know, when the pies start rolling out at Thanksgiving, all coming from a, a hard work. I don't actually see many Mexican homeless people because they're too busy working. 
But Americans are too busy thinking somebody owes us something and listening to liberal politics, which has taught us to be dependents upon a system which is inflated and about to fall, and those who are caught up in it will fall with it. So if you're living paycheck to paycheck, and you have a massive amount of debt, the Bible is saying you're not operating wisely, and it's time to stop. When I was in banking, um, I was managing a branch, and it was a small town, and um, there was this guy, and uh, he was having some difficulties, and, um, you know, I started, you know, he was always on the pass-through list, and I was noticing he was having some difficulties, and um, one day I get a call from my buddy who worked at the bank down the street, and he asked me about the guy. So if you ever been in, if you work in banking, you might get this. I knew that, uh-oh, there's a problem, and the clock is ticking, and the, and the bank that gets to it first wins. Somebody's going to be left holding the bag because this guy's about to go under. Now, they had a, they had a, a first mortgage and, 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 and whatnot, and they had all the big stuff, and we had an equity line and, and a boat loan. And this guy, check it. I called him in, and he sat down with me crying. You're not going to believe this. So he had a house in town, a house on the lake, had a boat, and a sports car. Okay? That's not it. And he had $80,000 in credit card debt. He had a nice job, but 80,000 in credit card debt, and he was only servicing part of the interest, which means it was growing at a rate to where he could no longer keep up. His biggest asset, cash flow, is eaten up by all these payments, so therefore he can't grow financially. He's, like our country, now bankrupt. Does this make sense to y'all? Okay. And he don't know what to do, right? What, what do I do? I missed that one. I got to hear it later. <laughs> I said, your only option is to sell some stuff. Start selling some stuff, man, and getting rid of stuff, or you're going under. But he had too much pride for that because he was the big man in town. He couldn't look like he wasn't. So he, he, he left my office with the intention of continuing. I'm like, dude, you need to, you need to get rid of it now because the bank down the street they see the writing on the wall, and they're in a worse off situation than our bank, and they're about to call some stuff, and you're about to go under. Because in America, we want to get things that we can't afford. And the Bible is saying, hey, as a believer, we don't operate like that. It's not what we're called to. In fact, another verse I want to give you really quick. Um, in Deuteronomy 15, 6, it says, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you, speaking to Israel, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but you shall not, they shall not reign over you. I remember my grandfather making this statement one time when I needed some money and I asked him if I could borrow it. And he says, nah, I don't lend. I don't lend money. And what, and what you need it for. And I told him, and it was a noble cause. I was trying to go for a certification and I needed a little help. My grandfather just wrote a check. He don't lend it. Isn't it? This man was never rich. I couldn't understand how he could actually have money but not be rich. And all his cars were old and beat up. I, he was trying to show me something, you know. <laughs> you can imagine going eight years paying six and $700 a month on a car. And then you look at the dude that's got the beater, 
that he paid $3,000 for. And, you know, it breaks, he fixes it. And he keeps rolling. But all that cash flow, the big assets still coming in. You catch it? Whereas if you got the $700 payment, and man, sometimes when I sit down in marriage counseling, I, I, I'm like, oh, my God. I, I won't even tell you one time I saw a payment that was over $800 on a vehicle. Over $800. I'm like, man, you know, man, you better pray a tornado destroy that thing. <laughs> and because once you become upside down, which happens pretty quick on most cars, the way they finance them, you stuck. So the Bible says you've snared yourself. You have entrapped yourself by putting a signature to that paper. Verse 2, you're snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. And so he says, do this, my son. And so here he begins to give us some solutions to what we need to do when we find ourselves in these situations. When we find ourselves in debt. Do this, my son, and deliver yourself. This word deliver is very interesting because it's, it, it means whether it's in the Hebrew or even when it's used in the New Testament in the Greek, it seems to mean the same thing. It means to rescue yourself. Here, it means to rescue by literally te to tear or to snatch oneself away, to recover oneself. The writer is saying, my son, if you do this stupid thing of which I'm saying you should never do, then you need to deliver yourself, rescue yourself by snatching yourself away from this. And notice he, he says, uh, as we go into this, he says, for you have come into the hand, verse 3, of your friend. So he says, in other words, you, you, they got you in the palm of their hand now. So he says, go and humble yourself. This is what you need to do. Plead with your friend to get out of this situation. Notice he gives us some pictures. He says, give no sleep to your eyes. What he's saying is, no matter what, if you are in debt, then you should not rest until you have delivered yourself. There should be no longer any sleep until you fix this situation because it is important that you free yourself from this. You know, the Bible actually says that a good man well, let me say this. You've heard people say, I'm spending my children's inheritance. You know, it's a fun thing for people to say. You know, we're going out, we're, we're riding down the road with a camper and a boat and, and, and everything else and, 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 and all this stuff, spending my children's inheritance. The Bible actually says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Biblically, you should not be living paycheck to paycheck. Biblically, you should not be in debt. And biblically, you should be building something to leave behind. And so he says, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself. And now he gives an image. I love the Bible. The Bible says, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then catch this. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Well, what does that look like? Well, I don't know about you. But I like watching the animal planet stuff. And we've all seen the safari. And, and they understood this language in Israel. They've, they've been out there. You know, Solomon's kids could go out to En Gedi and go out to the to areas and watch the animals. And if you've ever been, one pastor just got back from a, a missions trip to Kenya. And he and his wife did a safari trip before they came back home. And they were telling us about it. And they caught one of those rare moments where a cheetah came and stalked a, 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 an animal and caught it and ate it. 
And if you've ever watched those shows, when that gazelle sees the lion or the cheetah, how many of you have seen it? It, it is as fast as they can, making cuts and moves and, and doing everything they can to live at that very moment. Their whole life depends on them getting away from the animal who is stalking them, the big cat. Well, for you, for us, that is debt. Notice he says, and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. In, in other words, you better run for your life at this moment. Now, a lot of times this is a developing thing that people just get, get caught up in life and they don't know what to do. And, you know, they find it very hard to figure out what to do. Well, one of the things and one of the problems that we have is that we, we don't quite know how to manage things the way the ant does as we go into the next section. And, and so we, we, we get accustomed to spinning everything that comes in. And one of the reasons is, is that there is a curse a lot of times upon our finances because what we've done is we've consumed all that comes in the way that we want to consume it. And look, what we have to realize is that our money does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And it needs to be sanctified. So as a steward, we take what we receive, we sanctify it by prayer and by giving a portion back to the Lord. And then he gives wisdom for us to then manage what is left over. And that is how we navigate the financial world. But most people consume everything. In other words, look, if you're taking notes, which I see some of you are, your budget's very simple. You, you should have your income minus tax because Uncle Sam gets his so he can mismanage it. <laughs> all right. We, we've already proven that. OK, that's all right. So you have your income. And the next item on my list on my budget is worship. Man, as soon as I see that my pay has gone into my account, I'm like, man, Lord, thank you. The first thing I'm doing is I'm on, uh, I, I'm on our website here at the church doing my giving back to the Lord. And I'm talking to him as I'm doing it because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have it. You know, and maybe you're supporting a missionary or two or whatever God has called you to do. So that's first, okay? And then once that's done, there's the, the third item on my list is pay yourself first. Something has to go aside, like the ant. We're going to get there in a minute. Because nobody's going to do that for you but the Lord in you. And he gives the wisdom to say a portion is for later. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what nobody needs. A portion has to go aside for later. And then everybody else gets theirs. Does that make sense? You know, because if you don't do that, You'll never have. Well, what about the stuff I got to do? Well, you know, it just, God gives wisdom. Here's a practical example. My, my, we do a homeschool thing, and there's a little tuition involved in it. And so when the tuition is due, they always give a date. Like, I think it's due around December 7th or something this year. So back in July, when I got the amount, I took the number of weeks from that date in July to December 7th and, de and, you know, and determine how many weeks it was and then divided that amount by that number and every week that portion goes there for that. So in December, because you know, December there's other stuff going on, isn't it? Everybody's having a Christmas party. You got to bring a gift to every, every party you go to, right? And you got a family and you want to enjoy that, that season. Last thing I want is a tuition bill making me miss Christmas. So you got to do it ahead of time. <laughs> you know, it's just what you do. 
You know, you buy used cars, let somebody else take the depreciation. It's wisdom from the word, you know, and you learn to budget because a steward does that. That's what a steward does. Jesus talks about the, um, the, the, the parable of the, the talents and he distributes according to each one's ability and all he's looking for is faithfulness. The money I have is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. Therefore, I need to seek the Lord and how I should manage it, having given to him and then thanking him for the wisdom for what to do with the rest of it. And very few times in counseling has a couple who is in financial struggles said to me, but I'm already tithing. I'm already giving to the church. And I still we're still short because usually what happens is there's wisdom from the Lord, but there's too much pride for them to actually yield to it. There's too much pride or not the ability to defer the wants. And so they're consuming what is left and still struggling. But we must operate by the wisdom of the Lord, especially as we look on the horizon and we see the world changing and we live in a country that has mismanaged its money to the point that we don't know what the economy we live in will even be like at some point. But this is how we are called to live. And see, if you're not doing that, and then I said you've cursed your money. On the screen, Haggai chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Y'all doing okay? All right. Haggai says... Um, This is God talking to the nation. The nation had neglected the work of the Lord at the temple and was consuming um, what they had upon themselves. And he says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? Meaning your houses are decked out, luxurious. And this temple to lie in ruins? The place of worship. You know, when you teach your children this, This is what you should teach your children. This is what I've tried to do with mine. You teach your children basics and start at five. You basically learn these three things. So the first thing we do is you you, you pour out the the, the money on the table, all the coin and stuff, and you make them count all of it. You teach them how, and you make them total it. Okay, this is what I have. Okay, great. Now, when you get more money in, like at your birthday and our older grandparents are giving money, then you must do three things with it. Okay, what's that? What do I have to do? You must first worship the Lord. New Testament is givers. Old Testament is tithing. New Testament, we are free to give even above that. So give to the Lord. Worship him first because he gave it to you. Whoa, really, Dad? Yeah, you wouldn't have it if it didn't come from the Lord. Okay, worship him first. What I find when you teach children this, though, they get so excited about the Lord. If they got $100, they're like, I want to give him all of it. I'm like, man. And then the conviction I have is, dang, you know, that, that's, that's actually a pure heart. Whoa, because in heaven, that's what we're going to do. We cast everything back at his feet. So it's almost like, whoa. And then, then you're like, well, Lord, help me out here. Because now I got to tell them that he, so I said, well, he actually, he gave it to you so that you can do the things you need down here on earth. Okay. So he only wants you to, to, to give some of it to him. So that your heart stays with him, but the rest he wants you to manage it as a steward, okay? So the second thing you, you must do is put some of it in savings, okay? Great. And then, then you can keep some, usually with kids, it's in your wallet, so that when you and mom go to the store, you don't have to beg mom for the candy that you want. You have a little bit to do that yourself and be a blessing to mom. It's like, so you teach your children those things. But Haggai says, look. 
You, do, you dwell in nice homes. The temple, the place of worship, is in ruins. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. He's saying that here's what's going on. There's a curse on your finances. You've worked hard. You bring in, but, but you don't have enough. Okay? You eat, but you, you, you don't have enough. He says you drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, check it out, earns wages to put it into a bag with what? And this is why sometimes it seems like as soon as it comes in, it's always got to go out because it's cursed if you're not giving to the Lord. And here's the thing. Wait a minute. The God we serve, we already saw in the Old Testament how he made their sandals not wear out for 40 years. I've never had a pair of shoes that I think I can go 40 years on. So he has a, and, and here it is, he has a supernatural ability to cause your finances to go longer, and it doesn't make sense because his math doesn't work the way our math works. Does that make sense? He has a way of doing it. Now, even here at the church, we've tried to model our finances in a certain way after this. You know, we like for what comes in we like for 10% of it to go back to missions and outreach, to fund God's work in other places or to bring people to know him right here locally. You, you, you know, so if those of you who were at the newcomers thing a few weeks ago and we talked about um, just numbers from a percentage standpoint, if you looked at the screen, what you saw was a balance sheet. Check it out. That has zero debt. Zero debt the church has. And so it's all liquid money. It's just assets sitting in the bank so that one day we can, we can buy build or a building so that we, we can really, if the Lord tarries, the next generation at Calvary Chapel Clayton will have no debt and a place that's paid for to keep teaching the Bible. Okay? And so that's interesting. And check it out. Here's the thing. The rapture should not tank the economy. The rapture of the Christian church should spike the economy. What do I mean? Well, if all Christians are in debt and the rapture happens, well, then all banks will go bankrupt instantly, you know, because there's nobody going to pay all that debt back. But if we do things according to the Bible and the rapture happens, then what should happen is the United States of America just has all these assets sitting in banks, liquid assets, savings accounts, retirement funds and houses that are paid off. That's just there for them to do whatever they're going to do with it. Give it to the Antichrist at that point. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but even in that, it should be a picture to the world, you know, because that's how we should conduct ourselves with money. And I'm trying to challenge you because if your finances are a wreck, you're not using the wisdom of God. Now is the time to turn to him. And some people say, Pastor Kevin, I want to get on track, but. It just seems that how can I give anything to the Lord to get my finances back up under his wisdom and his guidance when I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I have nothing left? And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've heard that many, many different times. At some point in faith, you got to step out. And here's how you do it. And I'm only telling you what I know from experience. Look, it ain't going to get any better anyway. A lot of people who are in that situation, they're barely making it. Sometimes not even paying everything. So if that's the case, you might as well just take a chance on God. <laughs> you, look, you can't do anything. You can't get nowhere with it anyway. You might as well just decide, you know what? We're going we're gonna to just trust the Lord. 
and walk with him by faith for a while and then begin to watch him put it back together. This is what the scripture is saying. So he says here, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain or ruler provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, old sluggard? I mean, this is an insult, actually. But he's trying to be, he's trying to get the, the shock effect to make his children realize. He says, when will you rise from your sleep? How long will you allow yourself to be in ruins before you wake up and realize, I need to do this better? And I love the fact that he goes to the ant. Because... God knows in his creation, he put the ant together to be a certain way. And, and pretty much everywhere I've ever lived in my life, at a certain point of the year, you're going to get a few ants in your house. It's almost inevitable. Now, the longer they hang around and how many of them is, is based upon how clean you are. Because they send the scouts out looking for stuff. And if there's nothing to find, then they can kind of, you know, look elsewhere. Y'all follow me? That's just a hint for some of you that may like... <laughs> How do I get rid of them? Don't leave anything out, you know. <laughs> but they are so diligent, aren't they? They are so diligent. Ants are so diligent. They make these 6 to 12 inch ant hills, especially the fire ants around here. But those things go 6 to 8 feet deep in the ground, sometimes 12 feet deep in the ground. They have a whole city underground going on. And all summer long, these ants are working. And you can't stop them from working. Somebody told me once you can get rid of your fire ants by putting grits on top of the fire, their, their heel, and they'll eat them and it'll kill them. All right. I tried it. What my fire ants did. <laughs> and it took less than a half an hour. I came back a half an hour later and there were no grits on the on the on the heel. And I'm like, man, I got them. But something caught my eye about two or three feet over to the right. It was a pile, a very neat pile of all the grits, all the grains of the grits. They moved every grain away from their anthill and went back to work. I was like, and my, my mind immediately went to this verse. <laughs> so God is saying they work hard all summer and they don't consume their food during the summer. They only consume what they need. They don't consume everything they bring in so that in the winter months when the ice and the snow's on the ground and there's nothing for them to find, they can stay underground where it's warmer and continue to feast off of what they already brought in during the summer. And so therefore, your budget must be like that. You need to have a budget line item for everything. We're going, in, we're going on vacation in June. You should be putting something in that area in November. You know what I'm saying? And like everything should have a place. Like, well, we know we're going to do this. Well, let's begin to put something away for that. We know we're going to do this. Well, let's begin to put something away from that. Because it's so easy to just go put it on the credit card and we'll just keep doing that and keep doing that because we can just get it now. But one day, that has to be dealt with. And what happened? Here's the, here's the, here's the tricky part about the credit card. It begins to dwindle your main asset, your cash flow. Your cash flow, you used to be able to set this much aside, but because you relied on the credit cards now, you can only set a little bit aside. The Bible is saying, hey, I didn't call y'all to live like that. I called you to be free from that so you don't have that burden on you. So there's a way to begin to manage finances that's different according to the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. So he says that the ant provides her supplies 
in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, meaning that, well, I see that I need to do something here. I see that that needs to be dealt with, but I'm just going to lay down and rest. I'll think about it, worry about it another time. Well, he says in verse 11, so shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. And, you know, one of the things that a lot of people in America are beginning to say is that, man, you know, I'm getting older and I have no retirement. You know, and some people even work for companies that say, well, if you put away this percentage, we'll match it. You know what that's called? Free money. Because all you got to do is put, let them take 3% out of your check and put it in a retirement fund. They give you another 3% free. You should always be doing that. That's just free. Just do the 3%, get their 3%, and then you can invest elsewhere if you don't like their investments. But we should always be putting something aside for the future. Hey, a lot of you are saying, well, you know, the Social Security Administration says I should be getting this much when I retire. So I, I'll figure out how to live on that. I just painted a picture for you at the beginning of this message about the financial state of our country. We would be better off if the president of the United States would say, I want a panel of pastors from around the country who have churches where everything's paid off and no debt and let them run the, the national budget. Um, I don't think any pastors would want to take the job on. I, mean, I don't want to take that job on. You, 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 $28 trillion in debt? No, I don't. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to move to another country or not, you know. Um, so, but uh, I think that, um, unfortunately, because of the corruption in the heart of men who don't know the Lord, that will never change. Man is unable to govern himself. I know I, I had two or three people already look at the clock in here. This is hard, huh? Um, but again, I think God is trying to save some for ruins. Look, you grandparents who lived through tough times, you need to take this message and you need to figure out how to have some discussions with your grandchildren. Okay? That's what you need to do. And um, free them from poverty because God has not called us to live in poverty. Now, Jesus says you're always going to have the poor among you, yes. But the Bible has given us wisdom to do things differently. You young people in here who are thinking about going to college, I'll tell you just like this. Either you pay cash, you get a job and work through, you, you go to college near home, do anything other than sign on the dotted line. I hope you caught that. Okay. Unless you're going to medical school, which it's, it's almost guaranteed that you will make enough to pay that back. Okay. But unless you're doing something like that where you're kind of guaranteed a certain level of income, then stay home, go to NC State with no um, room and board cost, okay? Get a job and pay for it as you go. That's what you should do. Don't ever sign on the dotted line. Because once you sign on the dotted line, that thing just stays with you, okay? So this is what I'm saying. And, and buy, buy the old car that you can write a check for the thing and be done with it, okay? Do those things and, uh, and put your money where it can be used for the work of the Lord and for the next few generations of your family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today 
even from wisdom from the word, Lord. I pray that there's something here that we've heard, that we've gained individually today and collectively. And Lord, we love you. We love how wonderfully and beautifully practical your word can be at times to speak to every area of our lives that we would know how to conduct ourselves in this world that we live in. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. God bless you all.